Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Spreading the Word. I'm your host, Paul Bazanti. Today we are concluding our four-part series on the theme of seeking to be faithful in our generation at our 40th annual men's retreat hosted by the men of the Waterloo Church of Christ Congregation. Guest speaker Sean Dutile is bringing his fourth message in this series that he has titled Faithful in the World, When a Searching God Stirs You to Seek. And he'll be preaching from the book of Jonah. So without any further ado, here's Sean. All right, let's, uh, let's begin in prayer. Father, we cannot see unless you open our eyes. Lord, we are blind beggars. And we're inviting you to come and by your Spirit show us what you want us to see, Lord. We know we're on this journey. We know you are guiding. We know your Spirit is ever-present before us. And we plead for you, Lord, to grab our hands and to pull us a little further along. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I've entitled this last lesson, uh, uh, Faithful in the World, When a Searching God Stirs You to Seek. seek. When a Searching God Stirs You to Seek. And so I want to talk, so let's read, uh, let's start with our scripture. It's uh, Jonah chapter 3, verse 10 through chapter 4, verse 11. Let's read that together. When God saw what they did, And how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. For it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, of which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? All right, so uh, three things I want to discuss in our last hour here, and it'll probably take less than the hour because... I have less pages in the other notes. Um, Three things. Number one, when the love of God makes you angry. Secondly, when the fear of God makes you follow. And then thirdly, when a searching God stirs you to seek. When the love of God makes you angry, when the fear of God makes you follow, when a searching God stirs you to seek. So what we know about Nineveh is that it was a violent place. Okay, and if, and so if you've ever been in a violent place before, you know that violent places are places 
where the weak are taken advantage of and no one's safe. Okay? And the only people who flourish in a violent place are the winners, right? To say a different way, the only people who flourish on a football field of violence are the quickest and strongest. But if you're not quick and you're not strong, then you better get off the field, right? So Nineveh was a place of violence. So as an example, under King Ashurbanipal II, the Assyrians became known for, quote, their cruelty in extorting tribute and taxes from states within reach of their army, what, 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 what one writer called predatory campaigns, okay? So Nineveh would also have been a place where slavery was rampant. In those days when the Assyrian armies or the future Babylonian armies uh, captured or defeated their enemies, if their enemies were not killed in battle, then their enemies became their slaves. The Assyrians did not believe that all men were created equal. Okay? The Assyrians believed that some people were born to rule and some were born to be ruled. Okay? And so this is why, again, like I talked about last session, the Darwinistic worldview today is so dangerous because Darwinism tells us that over millions of years, the weak people were segregated from the strong people, and ultimately the weak people died off and the strong survived. And how did the strong survive? They survived by violence. Okay. Nineveh was a violent city, and if we had Jonah's inside knowledge on Nineveh, and God called us to preach to Nineveh, my guess is we would have run to Okay, so one of, the, uh, one of the most heartbreaking stories that I have heard um, in counseling was of a, uh, a young girl aged 10. This girl was not 10 when I was talking to her, but she told about her uh, when, when she was 10. <clears throat> she was the oldest of her siblings, and her mother was an alcoholic. And her mother one night... Uh, uh, buried her pain in alcohol, and uh, she told me that when, um, that her mother in a drunken stupor set fire to the house. And she recalled how she, as a 10-year-old girl, frantically grabbed all of her siblings and rushed them outside of the neighbor's house while mom stood in the driveway crying and motionless in a drunken stupor. And the most heartbreaking thing about um, the evening, as she recounted it, was when she realized that her middle brother had not left the house with her. Her six-year-old brother had hidden himself in the dryer for protection and later died of asphyxiation. Okay? And that was heartbreaking to hear. Okay? And what's equally heartbreaking, <clears throat> what was equally heartbreaking, is that that, is that ten-year-old children who experience a trauma like this will almost always be tempted to blame themselves for their parents' sin, okay? I should have rescued him. I should not have been so panicked or I would have remembered him. I should have known better what to do, etc., etc., etc. And as a result, this woman had been living with the guilt of her brother's death all her life when it was by no means her fault, okay? So in situations like these... It's often very helpful to help the person imagine someone else experiencing what she experienced. And the conversation will go like this. If you were to imagine another 10-year-old girl experiencing what you experienced, what would you say that girl should feel and should not feel when she looks back on the situation? 
And 10 times out of 10, I've never experienced it otherwise, 10 times out of 10, the person will speak back the exact right things the girl that she's imagining in her mind should feel and should not feel. And so she'll say, well, she should feel very sad at the loss of her brother. Correct. She should feel angry at her mother. Correct. She should feel grateful that all did not die. Correct. She should not feel guilt. Correct. She should not blame herself. Correct. But 10 times out of 10, when she places herself back in the situation, she does not feel what she ought to feel. She's not been angry at her mother because she's been too, angry, too busy being angry at herself. She is sad for the loss of her brother, yes, but she blames herself. She feels she should have done more or should have done better and believes that she is the reason for her brother's death. Okay? And I think the reason that, it is, that this, is almost, this almost always happens is because Satan takes every tragedy uh, executed against a child and twists some lies into it that a child knows no different than to believe. And these lies can wreak havoc on a child's life into adulthood. Okay? So when working with people who've been through trauma, it is helping them to identify what feelings are true and accurate and belong and which do not belong and, and placing blame where blame is due. So I say that to say this. When we do not feel what we ought to feel in response to the events in our lives, it can really steer us down a dark course. If we feel blame when we ought not feel blame, if we feel angry at ourselves when we actually we ought to be angry at someone else, if we feel happy when we ought to feel sad, this too is a problem, right? Uh, and, and the way we determine what we ought to feel and ought not feel in any given situation is to ask, well, what does God feel when he witnesses this? What does God feel when children are abandoned and left to fend for themselves? Well, we know that God feels angry that an injustice has been dealt to a child. Well, then I have a right to be angry too, don't I? Okay. Um, what does God feel when a person is made to feel scared and fearful because of the drunken rages of a person in authority? Well, God feels angry. These things should not happen. Okay? What does God feel when a child blames herself for something that's not her fault? Well, God probably feels sad for the child and angry for Satan's lies. Okay? When we look at the person of Jonah, we find that he feels what he ought to feel toward Nineveh on the one hand and what he ought not feel on the other, and this steers him down a dark course. Okay? So Jonah was rightly angry at the Ninevites because they were a violent people who were guilty of some pretty atrocious crimes, crimes probably even against Jonah and Jonah's own tribe. Okay? Jonah was right to feel angry at their wickedness, but he was wrong to feel a lack of compassion because God did not feel a lack of compassion. So chapter 4, verse 10, the Lord said to Jonah, Should I not pity them, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern their right and their left in much livestock? So it was right for Jonah to feel angry at Nineveh's injustices, but it was wrong for him to feel a lack of compassion for them as a result. But now get this, another thing that Jonah felt that he should not have felt was anger at God's love. 
So Jonah was angry at God's love. In fact, that's what caused Jonah to run in the first place. And Jonah, Jonah didn't understand God's love, right? He didn't understand why God still cared for the Ninevites. He didn't understand why God would send him to tell the Ninevites to repent, because that implied that God desired them to repent, which implied that God did not desire to destroy them, and Jonah wanted them destroyed, okay? Jonah was angry at God's love because he felt that God's love reached too far, okay? In fact, that's exactly what Jonah said, Jonah 3.10. When God saw uh, what they did, the Ninevites, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened them. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. How dare you be nice to them? Right? And he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's why I tried to forestall. I knew that you were gracious. And I'm angry that you're gracious. Okay? <laughs> there were some people, folks, in Jonah's mind who should not be the recipients of God's love. And the fact that God was willing to love them and even forgive them was more than Jonah was willing to accept. I'm going to go out here and pout. I don't want you forgiving them, right? So let me ask, what's going on in the heart of a person whenever we're angry at God's love? Why do we do that? Let me ask you, have you ever been upset when someone else was doing well? Sure you have. <laughs> have, you ever been, have you ever seen someone uh, prosper economically or receive some reward that you believe they did not deserve? And have you ever been angry that they were rewarded? Have you ever not received a promotion because someone less qualified than you or someone less honest than you got it instead? Well, if so, you know what it's like to be angry at God's love. Right. So almost four years ago now in America, many, many people were angry when Donald Trump became president because they said to themselves, I wouldn't trust that man with my car, never mind my country. Okay? They were angry that someone received something that they believe he didn't deserve. Okay? Now, we know that God also gets angry at injustice. But when, so this is important. When God gets angry, it would seem that God does not get angry alone. When God get, he doesn't get, so in other words, if God gets angry, he does not only get angry. He gets something else as well. So chapter 4 verse 11 uh, tells us that God feels pity. God feels anger and pity when he sees injustice. But you see we're not like that. Okay? So if we get angry at injustice, that's usually all we get. And so we have people on both sides of the drug issue, for example, who feel anger on the right and pity on the left and nothing in between. Right? People on the right are angry that these people put drugs into their bodies and then expect the rest of us to help them out. They're angry and they have very little, if any, pity. But people on the left feel pity because they tell themselves that these people can't help it and they cannot understand why people get angry. They feel pity, but they don't feel anger. Okay? But when God sees injustice in the world, God feels both. 
He is angry that sinful people do sinful things that hurt people, but he is also compassionate because he knows that many people do what they do because they cannot tell their right hand from their left. Okay? Mankind gets angry at God's love because we feel it reaches too far. And when we're angry at God's love, we run from the people God is seeking. Okay? We distance ourselves from those God still loves, and we don't seek them like he does. And because we do not seek them, we endanger them. So the lives of the men at sea with Jonah were completely endangered because Jonah was running from the people God loved instead of seeking after the people God loved. Okay? And not only did he endanger the sailors, but he also endangered the Ninevites. And how could the Ninevites ever tell their right hand from their left unless a preacher was sent to them? But Jonah was angry. Okay? So we see what happens, first of all, when the love of God makes us angry. We run from the people God is seeking. We endanger them. We do not feel what we ought to feel. The pity is gone. And we endanger them. The second thing we see is what happens when the fear of God makes you follow. So when Jonah was thrown overboard by the sailors uh, and was swallowed by the whale, or, or, or the big fish, as your version may say, uh, Jonah was obviously done running. Right? So he gave up and said, okay, Lord, here I am, I'll go. And the fish vomited him on the shore. Right? But Jonah, I want you to say, Jonah was still angry at that point. Right? Um, Jonah didn't walk into Nineveh full of compassion. Jonah walked into Nineveh because he was afraid. He was afraid of what might happen next if he kept running. <laughs> I didn't like that fish experience, right? And um, Jonah, was, Jonah was still a stubborn old mule. Uh, he was still the stubborn old mule he was before, except now he was too afraid to run. And listen, so God can use a stubborn old mule to accomplish his will. But here's what any stubborn old mule needs to know, and, 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 and maybe, maybe you're one of these, okay? The stubborn old mule needs to know that God is just as much in search of you as he is the Ninevites, okay? Because, so the, the, stubborn old mule, the stubborn old mule needs to know that however much you think the Ninevites are undeserving of God's love, you too are undeserving of God's love. Why? Because you feel better than others. You're full of pride, you feel superior, you are the better human being, you are the one God does not need to go in search of because you've been so good. You are the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son who never leaves home, but in truth you only stayed home selfishly for what you could get, right? You don't care if certain people perish, it's not your concern. And that attitude, folks, is so unlike the God of the Bible that it requires repentance. When we serve God only because we fear the consequences of not, not serving God, we run the risk of serving God while still needing to be found ourselves. We do good things, but we ourselves are still lost. We preach a good word, but we ourselves have not been reached by that word at a heart level. We walk in obedience to God, but in truth, we do not care all that much if the world around us perishes. Okay. And what's really interesting about the book of Jonah is that 
Uh, 20% of the book of Jonah tells us about God's searching love for Jonah gone astray. (laughs) And 80% of the book of Jonah tells us about God's searching love for Jonah gone astray. (laughs) Okay? God expends more energy searching for Jonah gone astray than he does Nineveh gone astray. And that's significant. Okay? And if we bring this back to point number one, the reason... God must search for a Jonah is because Jonah does not yet have or understand the seeking love of God. Okay? Why does God care about that city? Why bother with them? Who cares about them? They're never going to change anyway. Let them go to hell if they want to. Okay? And the only reason Jonah goes in search of them now is because he's afraid of what might happen if he doesn't. So five years ago, uh, six years ago now, my wife and I and the kids moved back to Laconia, New Hampshire after 10 years in New Jersey. And my first six months in New Hampshire, you, you could have described me as being overzealous. Okay. Um, for two straight months, I went door to door to probably 60 different businesses in town, introducing myself as a Christian counselor and offering my services since, since I could not introduce myself as a minister of a church yet because the Water's Edge Church didn't exist yet. Okay, so, and I also couldn't introduce myself as a church planner because they wouldn't understand that. So I went door to door, handed them my information and my business card, and sent each one of them a handwritten card in the week following, thanking them for their time. And up till recently, I had those 60 plus business cards in my desk drawer, the business cards that I collected as I went to their place of business. I was bold when I first arrived. Okay, I, I, I invited the chief of police out to lunch. I invited the mayor out for lunch. I invited every pastor I met out for coffee. I wanted to meet people. I wanted to know people, and I was not afraid. Okay? But over time, I became afraid, but not afraid of God. I became afraid of people. Okay? I learned that a slightly softer approach to New Hampshireites was probably more effective, and it was. <laughs> But because of some rejection I received along the way, I settled for a non-seeking approach. And two things that allowed me to take a non-seeking approach in my community and feel justified about it was Celebrate Recovery that we established and my um, counseling practice. So with CR and counseling, I didn't have to go seek people anymore they came to me. They came to us, right? And there's nothing wrong with this. In fact, CR and my counseling office are places where people find Christ and where they find healing, okay? But these established things so often tempt us to forget about the seeking love of God. Established things tempt us to make our efforts about getting them to come to us instead of about seeking them. Okay. And, and this, is, this is a temptation with churches as well, right? The, the church, this church, every church gathering is so important every week. But I believe the goal of the weekly church gathering is to equip us and prepare us to employ the seeking love of God for the ones we will see in this next coming week. Okay? Our God is a seeking God. He does not stand in his established temple in heaven and just wait for us to come to him. Okay? God is on the move. God seeks. God calls. God is sending. God is running to find his people every day. God is calling his people every day to seek after 
their friends, neighbors, co-workers, and loved ones, not for fear of what fish might swallow them up if, if we don't, but because the Holy Spirit has grown in us the same compassion and love for people that God has for people. Okay? And oh, how sad it is, I think, when the people God has called, like Jonah, do not have that same eager, seeking love for people, or they let that love be muffled by fear, like I did. Okay? Folks, unless our love for people as a congregation and individually is a seeking love, it is not an accurate mirror of the love of Christ. We cannot have a waiting love. We must be driven by God's seeking love. Another way to say it is, Christ's love is not complete in us unless it compels us after people. Okay? I had a friend in college named Jonathan Stormont, and he, he's a well-known preacher in Arkansas today, actually Texas. And uh, Jonathan seemed to always have this seeking love of God in his heart. And he was a, an extremely influential man on campus, part because he was a type A personality, had the gift of evangelism, he was a social guy. Um, but one simple thing that he would do that gave evidence to this seeking love for people that he had in his heart is that no matter where he was, where he was driving, he would wave to every car that passed by. Every car. He would have been in rush hour traffic and he waved to every car. <laughs> okay? And why? Because he knew that behind that wheel was a person God was seeking or had already found. Okay? Folks, the God of the Bible is a seeking God. He has a love that is so magnificent that it cannot wait. Okay? God was still seeking Jonah because although Jonah could probably quote book, chapter, and verse of the Torah, he did not have this seeking love of God in his heart. He didn't understand why God loved the Ninevites and he did not care if they ever repented. Okay? So we see what happens when the love of God makes us angry. We actually run away from those God is seeking. We see what happens when the fear of God makes you follow. You're driven by the seeking, you're not driven by the seeking love of God. Your fear of, well, what will God do to me if I don't? And then thirdly, and we'll close with this. We see what happens when a searching God stirs you to seek. When a searching God stirs you to seek. So uh, this agricultural lesson that God gives Jonah in chapter 4 is a pretty potent one. So Jonah's uh, sitting outside the city of Nineveh after uh, the revival meeting has ended in the city that he put on, and he's outside pouting, okay? And he's pouting because he just knows that if the Ninevites repent, as they probably, it probably appeared they would by the look in their eyes, Jonah just knows God's going to forgive him, okay? So here's Jonah saying, I knew it. You sent me in there. Now you're going to repent. They're going to repent. You're just going to forgive them, aren't you? We're still here pout and cry and how dare you <laughs> he's he's mad Jonah's angry because God's love is about to reach too far and he knows it and then God asks him in verses 4 and 9 he asks him the same question he says do you have a right to be angry Jonah do you have a right to be angry and Jonah's simple reply is I do have a right I'm angry enough to die he doesn't tell him what his right is to be angry he just says I do okay <laughs> Uh, and then God basically tells him, no, Jonah, no, you don't have a right. And the reason Jonah does not have a right to be angry is because Jonah is about to lose something he gave nothing for. 
Jonah's about to lose something he gave nothing. So in verse 4, Jonah was angry because he knew God was going to forgive the Ninevites. But in verse 9, he's angry because the plant died. And here's a lesson of the plant. The plant was a grace given to Jonah. It was God's act of compassion to keep Jonah out of the hot sun. Jonah didn't work for the plant, nor did he deserve the plant. Therefore, Jonah did not have a right to be angry if God took the plant away because he didn't deserve it in the first place. Okay? In the same way, folks, forgiveness was a grace God was giving the Ninevites. It was an act of God's compassion to keep the Ninevites out of the hot sun of destruction. The Ninevites did not work for God's forgiveness, nor did they deserve it. And the Ninevites did not have a right to be angry if God chose to, take their, to not offer them forgiveness. Okay? And I believe the plant scene was given to Jonah to show Jonah that he is in the exact same boat as the Ninevites. Just as the Ninevites did not deserve God's grace, neither did he. Just as the Ninevites uh, did not have a right to be angry, neither did Jonah. Just as the Ninevites needed forgiveness in order to not perish in the hot sun of judgment, so Jonah needed forgiveness not to perish as well. And so in essence, the lesson was this. Jonah, I've come out here seeking you in spite of your arrogance, and I'm seeking them in spite of their violence. You're mad because I took away your creaturely comforts, and yet you don't care that 120,000 people in Nineveh might perish if I don't forgive them. Jonah, you're ready to get on board. Are you ready to get on board with my seeking love? Or are you going to sit here and pout? <laughs> right? Are you ready to serve me now because your heart has been gripped by my seeking love for all people, including you? Or are you just going to serve me because you fear what, what, what I might do to you if you keep running? Are you going to get on board seeking others even as I have been running after you? Or are you going to live in your arrogant pride all by yourself? And this is the Old Testament, folks. We haven't even got to the Great Commission yet. Right? And the book ends with this unanswered question in verse 11. This is the question that God asked Jonah. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Should I not seek them, Jonah? Should I not care? Should I not seek you? Should I not care about you? Right? And we actually don't get Jonah's reply. Like the, the book ends with a question. And there's no reply. Uh, and we don't get the reply, I think. Because it's a question that the reader is supposed to ask himself. Am I ready to get on board with God's seeking love? Am I ready to let, to let God's seeking love stir me to seek others? Are you ready to go to whom God tells you to go? Are you ready to be about seeking one person every day, even as God so earnestly sought for you all the days of your life? Are you ready to be about God's seeking love, or are you going to be ruled by fear. So I believe that if our love uh, for our communities is not a seeking love, then it is not an accurate reflection of Christ's love, 
And this needs, I think, to be foundational to all of us individually and to our churches collectively. If our church gatherings were focused on helping us surrender all to Jesus Christ and helping us seek one new person every day, I believe we would all take seriously every person who comes in our path at school, at home, and even as we drive. I believe we'd be bolder. I believe we would not serve God out of fear. We would be driven by God's seeking love of people, and we would dare to seek out people every day. Now, we must be careful here because there are people in this room who actually have a gift of evangelism. They're very good at it. Uh, and, um, and that's a gift that you have. Some people, like myself, don't have that gift but are still called to evangelize. And the danger in the church is to say, we all need to be communicating and interacting with our neighbors in this way. You see how he does it? You need to do it that way too. And I tried that for a while. <laughs> um, uh, but I found that was fake. I was trying to be someone I was not. Okay. Uh, my, my interactions with people will not look the same as your interactions with people. But the love we have in our hearts for people, because of God's seeking love of us, it's that that must be the same. Now, it should come out in different ways, in different forms, in different avenues. But it's that seeking love of God that is the foundation of any outreach that the church wants to do. Do we feel about the Ninevites the way we should feel about the Ninevites? Or can they go to pot in a, in a, in a, in a, or hell in a handbasket and, and we don't care much? So, I believe that my best spiritual evangelistic conversations happen in my counseling office. Okay? In my counseling office, people have given me the authority to speak into their lives. And that is where I can be graciously bold, almost without restraint. And, and they welcome that. But, so, but maybe... You're a master electrician. And the people God has given you to love are the people that either you employ, the people you work with, or the customers you serve. And so when you're in their presence, whether it's appropriate to speak a word or not, is the seeking love of God animating your heart for them? Is the seeking love of God, or are you just there to get a paycheck? Do you work for a paycheck thinking you provide for yourselves back to lesson two? Or do you work because your work provides a genuine product or service to humanity and you're driven to love humanity because you know how much God has loved you? Let me tell you, you're going to interact with your employees, your customers, and your coworkers differently sure. upon that motivation. Okay? If this seeking love of God grows in us because the Holy, because we invite the Holy Spirit to grow it in us. I believe the Holy Spirit will lead us to love our people appropriately as well. If this, uh, it, so let me ask you, is this seeking love of God growing in your heart or is God still seeking after you? <laughs> Are you pouting? Right. So, okay, so as we close, can, can I invite you to close your eyes? Close your eyes. And just let me ask you, um, what is your next step in your Christian walk? 
What is your next step in your Christian walk? Are you in need of Christian brothers to help you hold up the rod of Jesus Christ because the weight of it alone is holding you down? Well, then maybe there's a brother or two here that you really ought to pull aside afterwards. Are you in need of rest? Have you been living with the weight of providing for your family, forgetting that God is the provider for your family, not you? Have your prayers been meaningful prayers? Does God get all of you or just an intercession list? Has the seeking love of God evaporated from your heart? Do you find yourself bitter at your neighbors instead of daily endeared to them? Are you working for money or for the genuine welfare of the people you work for? What is your next step? And open your eyes. Would you act on that next step? Okay. Would you approach a guy or two here to exchange phone numbers with and begin texting to each other your temptations and requests for prayer? Something. What is your next step? I want to uh, close by bowing before our Father together and asking him to Give us the seeking love of God. Father, your, your grace is beyond our understanding. We do not know how much we need you. And we have forgotten, perhaps, of how much others need you. God, there are times when we are prideful because we look at our clean lives and we say, if they would just get it together, they could have it. That's not your love, Father. Lord, we think we deserve and they don't, but Lord, none of us deserve. Holy Spirit, would you fill us in your own way with your seeking love? Would you give us an affection for people that endears us to them, that allows us to look over and look past their weirdnesses, look past their sin to see a person that God is infinitely seeking. Holy Spirit, would you change our hearts? Would you give us church gatherings that exude with your love and your grace? Mm -hmm. Would you give us elders and shepherds and mothers and fathers who love their children with an eagerness of grace, who are not afraid of your rejection because they rest in your acceptance. They're not afraid of the world. They don't huddle in corners because we just want everything to pass away, Lord, but we incarnate and we get in there. Father, we need you to do this work in our hearts. We can't humble ourselves. We can't work in ourselves. And we, may, we don't even know what our next step is sometimes, Father. We're, we're blind beggars trying to grab the hold of the robe of Jesus. So as we grab, Lord, would you, just, would you lead us and help us to trust that one day at a time, one step at a time, and you weave a path that we could not have thought of before. Lord, thank you for your sweet love and help us to rest in it. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, Sean. I know that over the course of this series, I've identified a few things that I need to work on myself. Hopefully, this has been an encouraging and edifying process for you as well. If it has, we encourage you to share it with others and uh, spread this word to anyone who you think might benefit in their walk with Christ from the lessons that we share here. I want to thank you again for tuning in and for being part of this ministry, and I pray that this is a blessing to you. As always, we lift you up in prayer to our Father that your life may be filled with his love and that you can reflect that. God bless.